Welcome, church. Today, I'm going to uh, continue the series in James, and uh, it's kind of ironic that it's kind of overcast, and it even grizzled a little during first service, because uh, I get to talk about storms. And so, really, you know, what I'm going to discuss today is faith in storms and how you can really anchor yourself during the storms. So there's three things that will happen in your life that are guaranteed. Not necessarily in this order, but you will pay taxes. You will experience storms, and you will die. Maybe not in that order. You may experience a storm when you're paying your taxes, but those three things are guaranteed. Or you may die during the storm. There's two types of storms that we're going to talk about today. First is a literal physical storm. A literal storm is defined as a violent disturbance of the atmosphere with strong winds and usually rain, thunder, or lightning. There are many examples of these storms in the Bible. For instance, in Matthew 8.23, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, those arose a great storm on the sea. So that boat was being swarmed and swamped by the waves, but he was asleep, meaning Jesus. And they went and woke him up, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to you, Why are you afraid, O of little faith? How many parents in the room have been woken up by their children in the middle of the night, saying, Oh my gosh, I'm perishing. And you're like, Oh, you of little faith, you need some more sleep. And then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm, and the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this, that even winds and the sea obey him? The crazy part is Jesus was a little frustrated with them at this moment, because he had just fed 5,000, and they had watched him feed 5,000, and he's like, that's why he's like, you of little faith, because he literally just, they just experienced a huge miracle. Luke 8, 22 through 25, and Mark 4, 35 through 41, both tell, you, tell about the same storm. I'm not going to read those, but if you do want to read them, I highly recommend it. There's another storm, though, that I'm going to take some time and explain. So when Pastor Josh asked me to teach about James, I was like, okay, and storms. So I started reading James, and I was like, there's no storms in James. I think I'm being set up. Um, but then I found a really good storm in Acts. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 27, 13, and we're going to spend some time talking about Paul's journey to Rome. I hear a lot of pages opening. If you have a cell phone Bible, that's okay, but by the end of the service, you're going to want to not do that. So. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. 
Then they pass ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Interesting fact about old ancient boats is that they were not designed to sail into storms. So it was very common that if it did go into a storm, the sailors would have to tie the boat together. Kind of imagine, I'm kind of a Marvel geek, so I'll imagine like in Spider-Man when the boat, you know, rips apart, imagine Spider-Man kind of keeping it together. So Joel gets that. He's like, yes. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars, they lowered the sea anchor and let, it, let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. So the crew had so little faith that they started throwing all of the things overboard. On the third day, they threw ship's tackle overboard when neither sun or stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging. They finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. How many times have you been in a storm and someone has come and told you, Oh, by the way, you shouldn't have done that, and now you're in the storm. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. I'm going to refer back to that storm multiple times because there's a lot in there. But that's a literal storm that he went through. The second type of storm that we'll talk about today, though, are your personal storms, which are circumstances and situations that threaten to overcome us, cause us to give up hope, or abandon our principles. So we've all been through storms in our life. At an early age, I lost my mom to cancer. I lost my dad years later. And then for years and years later, my wife and my kids have experienced all of the storms and all of the uniqueness of raising a daughter or being a sibling of a daughter with uh, disabilities. It's kind of interesting. Today, on my Facebook social media post, it came up seven years ago today, we were in the hospital, Lauren and I. And so I think we may even have a picture. So there's Lauren and me. Um, and as you can see, I couldn't have planned this any better because we're literally rejoicing in the storm. Um, you can see right there, Lauren's got a cap on her head because she was having an EEG done. I think it was like a week, right? A week long, she was in the hospital. So we've gone through quite a bit. Through the years, we would never quite come out of the storm the same way. The storm will change you. It may mess you up. It may leave your life a wreck. But if you have faith and if you're grounded, that story will become a testimony a testimony that you will be able to share 
with people that I rejoiced in a storm. And we came out better. Amen, right? Earlier today, I'm going to read some lyrics to you. I will not sing them because I was not blessed with the gift of worship as my, the rest of my family was. And um, they would probably like shut the mic off. Um, but I'm going to sing louder in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're going to hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated. The king is alive. So that song is called Raise a Hallelujah. We heard it today. How many of you heard that song before? Just by raise a hand. How many of you know the story behind that song? If you were here at first service, you know. A couple people. So I'm going to share with you the song and the backstory. Because that song came out of a storm. Bethel Music CEO Joel Taylor and his wife Janie took their two-year-old Jackson to the hospital which, with what they thought was a normal child illness. The Taylors soon discovered that Jackson's kidneys were shutting down due to a virus that was caused by E. coli. The virus was attacking his organs, so Jackson had to start to undergo blood transfusions. He went on dialysis, suffered seizures and respiratory issues. By the way, remember those because that's for someone in this room later. Um, you're going to be healed of that today. Soon after, their four-year-old daughter, Addie, was diagnosed with the same infection. Faced with the possible loss of their son and daughter, the couple cried out to, for prayer and support, and Taylor actually recorded an Instagram video asking for support from the local community and Christians all over the world. Worship leaders and friends of the community, Jonathan and Melissa Helser, were in constant contact with the Taylors. So these, are, these were worship people from Bethel um, from the beginning of the crisis. And one night, the Taylors told the Helsers, Jackson's not going to make it. They felt like this big giant of unbelief stood in front of them. He dove into prayer, and a new song came out. All of a sudden, out of his gut, this song came out in the face of a giant. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. This song became an anthem for the Taylors throughout the rest of the battle over Jackson and Addie's lives. Weeks would pass. People would come in one after another and sing this song over the children. Eventually, they were both healed. Right? Your testimony doesn't have to be your own testimony, by the way. The enemy wants to discourage you and say, look, you're not good enough to have a testimony. What you've gone through isn't tough enough. So guess what? God wants you to use other people's testimonies. They're just as powerful. So making worship their weapon, all of a sudden, this changed. Joel Taylor recounts this experience. God's timing often doesn't make sense until you look back to see that the mountains were climbed and canyons were crossed on no strength of your own. 
In the battle for Jackson's life, the global church community rose up like a mighty army and joined in prayer and worship all over the world. How would you react in this storm? Would you give up hope? Would you curse God? Would you be discouraged? When your daughter would be in the hospital seven days with seizures and them trying to figure out what was going on, would you rejoice in that? That song, Raise a Hallelujah, was on the Billboard Top 100 charts for 99 weeks. It reached number two, I think it was like July 27th, 2019. Um, I asked Landon about this. Half a million copies were sold. I didn't know they still sold records, uh, but it sold like half a million uh, records. And it's been played over a million times just in our car alone. So the way that you can react in a storm will be a testimony potentially to millions of people. So there's five things today. I'm going to tell you when you're in a storm, five things that you should do. So you're going to want to grab your bulletin and write these down. Number one, accept that you will face storms in life. It's going to happen. You have no control over it. You will not be able to run and hide. James 1, 2 through 7 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever, not if, not maybe, but when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. This is the most important part of this verse, though. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Faith, not doubt. Acceptance that you're going to go through a storm doesn't mean that you have to approve of it, it doesn't mean you have to agree it, agree that it's right or wrong. By the way, God does not put storms in your life. He does not create storms and throw them at you. But he will allow you to be in a storm because then, guess what? Maybe your storm is going to be a testimony to millions of people. So number one, acknowledge and accept that you will face storms in life. Number two, take responsibility for dealing with the storm and its consequences. We live in a broken world, a fallen world. Pastor Josh says, and he's used this many times in James, that we are saints who occasionally sin. That sin we need to own, don't blame someone else. Don't blame the government. Don't blame social media. Don't blame chocolate. Don't blame alcohol. You have to accept that because when you accept that consequence that it's on me, 
that gives the Holy Spirit opportunity to work in you. But when you blame other people, why do you think they can call the devil the accuser? Because he wants to blame other people, and he wants you to blame other people versus accept it. So number two, take responsibility for dealing with the storm and its consequences. Number three, take action that is appropriate and timely. Sometimes you must sit still and ride out the storm. How many of you have done that? It's, just, it's pounding on you, and you're like, okay, I'm just going to curl up and deal with this. But there's other times that you have to go do something. The storm where the disciples are like, oh my gosh, this boat's going to sink. They did what we all need to do in the storm. They went and seeked Jesus. And then Jesus said, why are you waking me up? But... Seek him in the storm. Sometimes, by the way, the Holy Spirit's going to say, hey, you have to follow me into the storm. It's kind of funny. I've had this shirt for a few months, and I was like, oh, I get to use it today. He's going to say, follow me into the storm because that's where I need you to be because I'm doing a work in you. The Holy Spirit will give us the gift of discernment to determine whether we need to curl up seek shelter, or what to do in that storm. Number four, acknowledge progress. I am going to quote uh, Pastor Abigail Woodcook and say, this too shall pass. The storm always passes. It's it could leave a mess. It could devastate everything around you, but it's going to pass. No matter what. Number five, and this is a cool one because number five, I get to actually walk a little. And Pastor Josh gave me permission to do this. So. Um, but number five, you can't talk about anchors during a sermon and not pull up the anchor that we have in our church. So we've got this anchor that for probably a good five to six years, sat by a big rock over there, and um, Jim mounted it to the wall, so unfortunately, I couldn't use it during first service, but I tried, but it's like literally on here really heavy, um, but this says, we have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat which sits in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold. So, point five, when you're in the storm, look for that anchor that's going to help you secure and find a safe place. Because sometimes it, you may have to ride out that storm, but he wants you to find a safe place and give you an anchor. What are you anchored to, church? Are you anchored to something strong? Or are you anchored to something that during the storm it's going to cause you to flail? Those of you that had your cell phones out for the Bible, I'm sorry. Average daily phone use is between 3 hours and 15 minutes and 3 hours and 45 minutes. 
approximately 15% of your day is spent on that device. By the way, these things I'm not going to say are bad, but when they become your anchor, that's when we have to take a look and go, you're anchored to the wrong thing. 131 million, or 66% of all adults in the United States are on some sort of prescription drug. 10.7% regularly use pain medication. God created medicine, by the way. Your anchor, though, should not be in the medicine. It needs to be in the creator of the medicine. 50.7% of adults use alcohol daily. 47.8% report binge drinking on a monthly basis. 11.9% report heavy drinking on a daily basis. Jesus did turn water into wine. Do not anchor into wine, anchor into Jesus. 40% of Americans are considered obese. 18% are considered severely obese. 12% 12 of United States adults report smoking marijuana. 15 to 25-year-olds spend about 40 minutes playing video games daily. I think that number is way too low, by the way. When I was like 15 to 25, I, I was definitely doing more than 40 minutes of video games. Um, but again, you know, the internet doesn't lie, right? Um, 25 to 34-year-olds spend about 20 minutes a day. What are you anchored in? God does not want you to be anchored into the things of the world. He wants you to be anchored in him. So, are we anchored in him? 34% of Americans never read the Bible. Only 16% of Americans read the Bible daily. 3% of Americans read the Bible four times a week or more. Probably the people in this room. 8% of Americans read the Bible only three to four times a year. You can probably know what those days are, you know, Easter, Christmas Eve, maybe Good Friday. 11% of Americans read the Bible only once or twice a year. And here's probably the most kind of concerning stat, is less than 20% of regular churchgoers read the Bible on a daily basis. So again, I just asked the question, what are we anchored to? He wants us to be anchored to him. That's how we survive the storm. When we're anchored to him, and I just, it's the craziest thing because I just got this during first service worship, we will not just survive, but we will thrive in the storm. Amen? God doesn't want you to just survive. He needs you to thrive because your testimony will help the next person get through that storm. So five things that you need to do when you're in the storm. Number five, we talked about being an anchor. So I have four ways that you can get anchored and what you should anchor to. Don't anchor to your cell phone. Don't anchor to the internet. Don't anchor to video games. Don't anchor yourself to these things. I'm going to give you four things, and I promise I will get through these four because I don't want to leave one out because um, 
there's someone that'll go like, you left one out, Mike. <laughs> Number one, God. It's duh, right? God, of course. Then again, you read less than 20% of churchgoers read the Bible on a daily basis. So it's like, yeah, duh, but he wants to be anchored to you. In Acts, the ship that Paul was on was in a life-threatening situation. All on board had given up all hope of surviving. But Paul rose up to encourage them. And if you remember, he said, last night an angel of the God whom I belong to and whom I serve stood beside me. Paul introduced himself as one belonging to God. God was the anchor in his life, and he belonged to God. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Paul's life no longer belonged to him. He didn't live for himself anymore but he served the living God. He is the holy God. When the angel said, do not be afraid, he is saying that God is in control. Fear does not come from the Lord. It comes from the devil. When the angel said, do not be afraid, he is saying, don't listen to the devil. He is the one that tells us there's no hope, just give up now. God, on the other hand, is assuring Paul of safety security, and supply. He is in charge. All safety, security, and supply come from the Lord, not only for Paul, but for all who are with him. God supplies all because he is almighty. Amen? Not only is God in control, but he also had a plan for Paul. If you remember, he said, you will stand trial before Caesar. Our lives are not a series of accidents. God has a plan for each of us. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. Uh, years ago, I was in a career where I drove three to four hours a day to get to work. And it was a very stressful situation. And every day I had that verse on our wall when I left. And I just kept praying that over my workday. And eventually God changed my job. It's not smooth sailing. God doesn't promise us that storm-free journey, but he does promise that we're going to make it to the other side. He is the anchor that will hold in the storm. Number two, faith. So number one thing to be anchored to is God. Number two is faith, because literally it is the title of my sermon. Um, but the Word of God will be of little benefit to us unless we exercise faith in it. The whole key to our success is day by, success day by day is whether we believe God or not. When Paul had faith in God, he was able to work in action. So imagine you are Paul on that boat and all chaos is breaking loose. If Paul didn't have faith, he would not have been able to act in the way he did. In Acts 27, 25, he actually says, So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that will happen just as he told me. In James 2, 17, getting back to the book that we're studying, in the same way, faith by itself, 
if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith helps us to act what we believe. When Paul believed in God, he had faith and he began to work. He saw the situation and was able to help to direct others. Other scriptures about faith, and literally God gave me these. Someone in this room needs to hear this or in first service. But in Matthew 21, 21, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. Jesus had a way of just talking bad about mountains. Just, you know, Because in Matthew 17, 20, he talks about moving the mountain again. Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In Hebrews eleven six, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. So think about that, being anchored in faith, because without it, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So you're anchored in God, you're anchored in faith. The third thing you're going to need to be anchored in is the ship. What is the ship? It's the church. How many of you gone through a storm alone? It's never fun. It's not what we're designed to do. We are designed to go through storms with our brothers and sisters. When you think about in Acts, some of the men wanted to jump ship to save their lives. When they were pretending to lower the anchors, more anchors, they were actually lowering lifeboats in order to bail. But in verse 31, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. This is the type of the local church, the local fellowship. The definition of fellowship, and I looked this up, um, it's actually two or more fellows hanging out together. That's why they call it on a ship, fellowship. You can't make this stuff up, people. Fellowship helps us weather the storms of life. You need to have your friends, your church family here. When you look at the announcements, I think one of the best parts of our three weeks in a row with Noah and his announcements, all of the funny things are amazing. But there's that moment where like the music changes and Noah gets all serious for a minute and talks about what we can do to help you. Like that is literally giving yourself to the ship and really anchoring yourself into the ship. So next time you need to anchor yourself into the ship, think of Noah just sitting down with that cool, like slow jazz music, not creepy Noah dancing in the corner. And then number four, so you've got God. And look at that. I want you to just picture that anchor. You've got God. You've got faith, and you've got the church. But there's one other thing that you need. 
And when you think of all those statistics, it's the thing that people are not getting. It's the word. It's bread. It's literal bread. Paul told them they would not be able to withstand the journey unless they ate bread for strength. Because of the suspense and stress, they had fasted for 14 days. So they had fasted for 14 days on the ship because they were stressed out. Spiritually, bread represents the word of God. How many times when you're in that storm do you fast the word? Do you get so caught up in your life and what's going on in your chaos that you forget his promises for you? So next time during these storms, when you are fed by the word, you will receive that nourishment. Acts 27, I told you we're going to be in Acts a lot. Um, now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. So church, what are, your, what are you anchored in? During the storm, what are you going to be anchored in? Are you going to be anchored into the things of the world? A lot of us are. Even the best of us get anchored into those things. And then guess what? Man, that storm is hard. You come out of it and you're a wreck. But if you're anchored into the right things, then through that, you're going to withstand and not just survive, thrive in the storm. So what we're going to do now is I feel like we've got some anchors that need to be strengthened. So we're going to do ministry time here, and we're going to help strengthen anchors. Because guess what? For the past year, the enemy has said, I'm going to take that anchor. I'm going to throw you in a storm, and I'm going to take away these things. I'm going to take away your faith. I'm going to take away the ship. Some of us have not been at church. Some of us have been online, but guess what? It's different when you have that fellowship. When you see people's faces and eyes, and you get to see my beautiful face. I don't get to see yours, but you get to see mine today. You better watch it. But these things for the past year have been taken away from us. And it's interesting. I'm going to have someone come up. Teresa, would you like to come up, please? So last week we started, and really what caused us to do this was a few weeks ago, someone came to my amazing wife and I and said, I didn't know that you still prayed for people. And it broke my heart. Because we never stopped praying. The enemy had taken over the narrative and said, you're lose, I'm taking hope away. And so Teresa's going to come up, and she said she would only do this if she could take her mask off and share. So she's going to uh, quickly talk to us about a testimony. Again, power in the testimony. You should be on. Testing. Um, we hadn't been coming to church for a while because of uh, just, you know, staying home and trying to be safe and everything. And I just 
probably hate that mask like a lot of people do. But um, I was really glad when they had prayer again because I love coming up for prayer. If I could run, I would run up here. And um, I woke up Saturday, last Saturday morning with uh, pain in my, in my hand. It was really bad. It was like a flare-up of arthritis. And uh, I came around and I had Mike, Pastor Mike Noyce pray for me and also my knee. And I had asked my husband earlier that day, I said, do we have any aspirin? And he says, yeah, I got a little bottle of Bayer aspirin in the cupboard. And he brought it to me and I said, what year is it? And it was from, expired in 93. And I said, throw that away. So he's a man, right? So did he throw it away? No, he put it back in the medicine cabinet. I got up early the next morning, cleaned out his medicine cabinet, threw everything away that was expired. But anyway, we stopped and I got fresh aspirin, took it when I got home. And within an hour, you know, it was the aspirin, of course, a little bit. But normally I'm thinking, I wonder how much more aspirin I'm going to have to take. I didn't. I went to bed, got up in the morning, and my hand was back to normal. You know, it's a small thing, but it's a huge thing. And so I was really grateful. And I would encourage people, run up here and get prayer. Do not be afraid. There, can I tell another little testimony I had years ago? Pastor Larry prayed for me, and when he was all done, he says, whoa. He says, did you feel anything when I was praying for you? And I said, I don't know. You know, I had to think about it. So later on, I reflected on it. I literally, because he said he felt something very strong, and he was blown away by my faith that God was going to heal me because I had a tumor on my arm that I had to have taken off. And I literally was singing with joy when it happened, singing through the storm. But um, when I was thinking later, I remembered, oh, my gosh. I had thought my girlfriend, Kathy McGarity, came up. And, you know, a lot of times people will come up, your friends, if they know what you're going through. And they'll come up and stand and pray with the person who's praying with you. And I thought she came up behind me because I felt two hands on my shoulders like somebody came up and did this and prayed with me and when it was over I turned around there was nobody there so I would encourage people to come up and give prayer do not be afraid it is good for you to get up and get prayer again the power of the testimony. Jenny, would you like to come up? We're going to, um, we have the, some people that are going to be up here. We're going to pray for you. There's people in this room, though, that need prayer. And Pastor Michael, and Pastor Jenny. That tumor in a hand, that was a word of knowledge, by the way. We practice word of knowledges at this church, words of knowledge. That tumor, someone is suffering from some wrist pain or a tumor in their wrist that needs healing, God's going to heal you of that today. Um, earlier, we talked about, you know, dialysis, kidneys. Um, that's a word, by the way. Someone in this room will be healed of that today. 
your storm that you've been in, you literally have the opportunity now because we have the faith that you're going to be healed. You don't need to have it. We have it for you, but we are going to help you be that anchor. We're going to help you anchor in him, and you're going to receive healing. So as uh, Pastor Landon and the worship team do this next song, just, just come on up. Like Teresa said, you have nothing else to lose. Run up here and receive your healing. That's right.